Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the podcast that takes a lighthearted look at lesser known London stories with your own personal blue badge professional tourist guides. She's Fiona. And she's Alex. And this is the Ladies in London podcast. Hello, Pod Squad. Happy Wednesday. It's Alex here. I'm going to be joined by Fiona later in the main bit of the podcast, but we just couldn't get our diaries together this week to record the top of the podcast. So it's just me saying hello. And I hope you've had a fantastic week. It's all go around here at the moment. Oh, goodness me. Genuinely, I know we've said it a lot, but January and February used to be nice and relaxed and it is off the charts busy right now. So I think we're in for a bit of a bumper summer. You'd be happy to know Fiona and I are pre-planning so that we're going to be able to keep going through the busiest part of the year. Um, We've got some really fun stuff coming up for you in the next couple of months. But firstly, we have had an email from Charlie. Hi, Charlie, who uh, Fiona has said is a Westminster guide and an all-round good egg. Charlie, I hope you're coming to the live recording, um, which is coming up soon. Just a quick reminder, everyone. We're three quarters booked, I believe. So, uh, yeah, get your tickets. But Charlie, come along. It'd be lovely to see you. Um, And... Charlie's email says, I just listened to the podcast uh, with rapt attention, not least because Mole King's country house is five minutes walk from my home. You lucky thing. It's still there and it's in this painting by John Constable and we have popped the painting on uh, Instagram so you can go and have a quick look. Um, the tall buildings are on the left with Richard Steele's cottage on the right. I think she might have wanted a bit of distance both from London but also from Hampstead Society. So you get the view but are located between the two places. I've also read that one of Moll's protégés was a woman called Nancy Dawson, who was known to have, and I love this phrase, danced the hornpipe lasciviously between acts at possibly Drury Lane Theatre. The story goes that Moll built her a cottage in her garden, and it's certainly the case that there's this Georgian, gorgeous Georgian cottage completely cut off from the road and virtually totally hidden. You can see it from the back if you know how, otherwise you get a peek through a shop window, which is knocked through so you can peep into the garden. Clearly, the story is of long standing as the Victorian terrace built next to Mole's house has the legend Dawson's Terrace below its roof parapet. So there we go. What a great little bit of extra info. Thank you so much for sending that on. Um, so, yeah, pop to Instagram and we uh, I think Fiona might have popped it up on the blog as well. If you want to go and have a little look at that really lovely picture. It's um, a gorgeous picture by Constable in the middle distance. Uh, you can see the Dome of St Paul's Cathedral which is rather nice because I don't know that that would be a view that you would get today from that particular spot with uh, everything being in the way, such as it is. Fiona's also had a lovely chat. So Fiona is much better at me on Twitter. I've never been a Twitter person. Fiona is. So if you're on Twitter, um, Fiona's been quite active on there. She's had a great chat with the Peak Freens Museum. And it turns out that Dan, who works at the Wanstead Tap, which is where we're having our live in a couple of weeks, uh, his grandmother worked at Peak Freen, so it's such a small world. I'm loving this. this. This incredible kind of coming together of all the different podcasts. It's so much fun. I love it when people email in and say, oh, here's a bit of extra info or here's a link that I've got. So if you've ever got any of those, please, please do give us a shout. 
And we mentioned last week uh, that we're going to start giving you a choice in one topic a month, uh, which I think is going to be really fun because it'd be really good for you to tell us what you fancy listening to. Um, February, we've already kind of pre-gamed that, so we, we know exactly what's happening for that one. But our first choice episode is going to come in March. And we have two options for you. Um, Fiona's pick is the fantastic Elizabeth Fry, who was a prison reformer and campaigner and a really, really interesting woman. She's one of the only women to have been on a banknote in the UK. So that's Fiona's choice. My personal choice is the story of a couple of black boxers who were around in the 17 and 1800s. A couple of you have done my uh, Black Londoners walk and I've done a private one for a few of you as well. And I do speak about them on that uh, walk. And they're they're really interesting people. So those are going to be your two options. We're going to have a face off between Elizabeth Fry for Fiona and the black boxers uh, for me. So what we'll do is we're going to put that up on the socials this week. Um, we'll probably do it as a post and as a story so you can vote wherever you like. Give us a little shout and Fiona might even do something on Twitter. I don't know. She, she's the boss of that one. Um, and let us know which you'd fancy. And then on the 20th of March, so in about a month's time, or a bit more than a month maybe, um, we are going to do our first choice episode and then that will carry on every month from there and we'll give you like a month's warning mostly so that we can get our ducks in a row and get all our research and recording done because it takes a bit of a while to do all of this so there you go so those are your options for the very first one and I know you're completely bored of us talking about it now but I'm going to anyway our live recording is coming up in just over a month um and like I mentioned we're about three quarters of the way sold we've got Leo Hollis coming on we've got some other things that we're going to be doing in the second half which probably won't make it onto a pod so be there every square uh, and we are I can't tell you how excited we are for this this feels like a really big step so uh, we would love as many of you to come as humanly possible And also a few bits and pieces from some of our friends in London. Um, The Museum of London has an exhibition on at the moment. It's called Fashion City uh, and it's all about the contribution of Jewish designers in making London an iconic fashion city. It's on from now until the 14th of April and on the 15th of February there is a late uh, so I think there's going to be a talk and there's going to be performances and all that kind of thing and there's some tours and what have you so um, if you fancy going along tickets are £13 um, but otherwise you can just go in the day and go and explore a fantastic um exhibition there's also if you're into sewing and that kind of thing like i am uh, there's even like mending workshops and things like that um so there's quite a lot of lovely stuff going on so go and check out the museum of london in docklands for that also worth noting if anyone is into uh, modern and contemporary art the Tate Moderns exhibition by Yayoi Kusama, which has been going for about three years now, has finally announced that it's going to close. So this is your last chance. Now, I've been putting it off for years because every time I went to go and get tickets, it was bonkers busy and I, just, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered with that. No waiting in queues for me. I finally got tickets and it was super easy to get them. So, um, yeah, if you want to go and see what has been the hottest ticket in town for a couple of years, now is your last chance. It's ending on the 28th of April of this year. So I think that's everything from me, all of the parish notices. Uh, let's get into this week's podcast. Uh, Fiona's going to join us. And in fact, it is a Fiona episode this week. Enjoy. Yeah, so I thought this week, um, because it's Chinese New Year coming up mm. and the new Chinese year is going to be the year of the dragon. 
Aha. I thought we should have a little look at some London dragons. Oh, yeah, Brill. Um, because there's quite a lot of them, isn't there? Goodness me. There's a lot of them. And it always seems to me there is fundamentally a dichotomy between our dragons. <laughs> Just say, I'm not sure I ever expected to hear the phrase, <laughs> there's fundamentally a dichotomy between our dragons on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not only that, I having thought of I I like the word dichotomy, and then I thought I don't actually know what it means. So if I'm gonna use it on I better make sure that it does mean what I think it means. And it does. It means a thing that is kind of opposite. But what I loved when I looked it up is I found a, a phrase uh, which says, um, for example, the difference between what politicians do and what they say. Oh, very pointed. <laughs> very pointed, Fiona Lucas. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what it seems to me with the dragons of London, you've got the most obvious statues are the ones around the city. We'll come on to those. The heraldic beasts, mm. which are kind of and um, good and strong and things. And then you've got the other ones that are being killed by St. George. Those are yes. the two basic types of dragon. You're quite right. Fundamentally a dichotomy in our dragons. There you go. So um, um, I think this comes broadly from... Um, whether your dragons come from the kind of Eastern tradition, like the Chinese dragons that mm. are good, wholesome... Uh, Protect, protector kind of things. Well, yeah, not just protector, but also they represent wisdom and um, good luck and fortune and good health and um, all sorts of things like that. And they tend to be um, they're, um, longer bodied than... right. Sort of, the 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 heraldic version um so they they don't actually have wings they have long bodies and they have um sharp claws mm -hmm. um and if you think about them in sort of um you know dragon dances you get uh lots of people um you know performing sort of more like a centipede in, yeah. in a sort of you know long um line of people um now it's actually on on that note um when when I was a baby, and I'm I'm talking like proper baby baby and toddler, um, we lived in Hong Kong, and uh -huh. uh, apparently I used to get incredibly terrified by <laughs> the long dragons on the Chinese New Year celebrations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. They are they they are that weird thing that they are ambiguous a bit mm. in their faces, but I think it's also because. And maybe not you maybe as a, a, a tiny baby weren't aware of this but i think because we have our cultural affinities of dragons that they are quite scary things mm. that we overlay that onto the chinese dragons which are much more playful yes but i think as a baby because there's a lot of noise that goes on with it i think there's a lot yeah. of color a lot it's of movement a lot of noise scary, it's a big bit thing. overwhelming <laughs> yes i've so got over that fear though i love them now <laughs> <laughs> you'll be pleased to know so what i was intrigued by um the Chinese dragons is some of them are particularly associated. There's associations with different colours as well. Um, so yellow ones are particularly associated with emperors. Okay. And there was a time when only the emperor could wear clothes or indeed have stuff with dragons on them. Really? Uh, which kind of remind me of the, the sumptuary laws. The sumptuary laws uh, episode, that you've, yeah. you've talked about and things. Um, red, uh, red, red are the luckiest ones mm -hmm. so if you're having a festival or 
weddings and used for dances and things very often red dragons um black ones associated with vengeance Mm-hmm. So quite often in films, they kind of get associated with criminal gangs and things, and you get people with tattoos of black dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, white ones connected with death. and Well, white is connected with death and mourning, but white dragons symbolize kind of purity and virtue, which oh, okay. that's, you know, white often sort of lots of cultures. I think that's an association. And then blue and green dragons, delightfully, uh, represent nature and health and healing. So um, they a blue-green dragon represents the, the approaching of spring, new life and plant growth. Very Fabulous. Appropriate for this this time of year. So I thought it was rather, rather nice. Yeah. Um, so um, the places you can see those sorts of dragons in London. Uh, one of them is at the British Museum. Um, oh. Because in the Chinese galleries there, the Hotang galleries, yeah. they have some rather fabulous roof tiles from kind of 14, 1500s. Beautifully glazed, long, like very kind of, they look like snakes with feet, kind of, you know, they're, they're really right. long, thin bodies. Um but um but yeah rather rather fabulous versions of chinese dragons love it i love that that chinese gallery actually i remember when when we were learning to guide the british museum on our uh course it was it was horrible to guide because i didn't have any sort of frame of reference for all the chinese yeah stories history any of that but it was a beautiful place to look around because the the artifacts in that gallery are just stunning absolutely gorgeous and the glaze that's what i Mm. love most about those is a lot of the ceramic objects they're just really rich colors of glaze and beautifully yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) um so, so that's one sort of school of, of dragon origin, if you like. Mm. Um, sort of slightly, which in the... we cannot claim as our own. No, but absolutely, a- no absolutely, whatsoever. But, but I, I think it speaks quite nicely to the multicultural nature of London. Um... Yes, yes. So, but then you've got the kind of um, European dragons, whatever. And there's, the, I mean. They come, they're all over the place in terms of folklore. So I found lots of different origins and things, but um, a lot of the British dragon stories seem to come originally from things. The worm is the most terrifying thing. The worm? The worm, which doesn't sound very good. Mean W-O-R-M. Like, yeah, an actual worm? Well, what? yeah, a big worm, big worm. If you pronounce it, right. if you spell it W... Is it like, is it like the thing? <laughs> <laughs> the thing from the deep. The thing. <laughs> Well, no. the blob. So if you if you spell it W Y R M, the worm, right? And it it's it's sort of from um, Scandinavian kind of origins. Oh, okay. So it's 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 basically a giant snake, but then it starts to have feet and claws and wings. And you also get in Greek mythology, you, there's the um, you know, you start to get sort of composite animals coming together. So you've got the wings mm. of a bat and the and there's a wyvern, which is a bit like a dragon, and that's made of composite animals and things. So you have all these different sort of associations 
coming together, but they are yeah. sea creatures. And this actually is in common with Chinese ones. They they mostly live in water. Um, the kind of the the wormy ones particularly. The wormy. Um, <laughs> it's not and, quite so terrifying, is it? <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> but you can see how they then get associated with being evil and things because they they also come to represent pagan paganism as opposed to right. christianity okay. and if you think about snakes in the bible we've got the snake in the garden of eden and mm-hmm. things and also snakes and dragons come to represent satan as well oh, um, okay. so um what you get in britain is lots of stories of dragons being tamed or possibly sent into exile by saints so so it's a, a very much a religious it's a religious banishing of the devil rather than yeah absolutely yeah because of course the thing we have about saint george which i'm sure you're going to get onto is is this dragon thing and i always just sort of wondered why dragons um but that makes sense yeah so yeah we'll, we'll come back to saint george absolutely um what's intriguing about the other saints is that they don't necessarily go out and kill so there's lots of stories of people battling dragons. And again, we'll come back to that. Mm. But in terms of the saints, they quite often just talk to it and whisper in its ear. And then it it just goes away and lives somewhere else. Or somebody <laughs> puts a, a bridle around its neck and then leads it away to somewhere else. And it goes away quite okay. quite tamely, which is quite, quite like that in a way. Mm. Much less violent. Much less violent. But then we get... Uh, the influence of things like Beowulf. And um, Beowulf is about a thousand year old. Well, it was written down about a thousand years ago. Um, and it's an old English epic poem of kind of heroic, coming from kind of Germanic, seemingly kind of heroic legend. And it's a variation of a legend that you get all around the world of, um, you know, a monster attacking often often um either killing young women or having young women sort of sacrificed to it mm, and then you get yeah. a hero who goes out to slay the monster um and the the dragon in beowulf is is a flying dragon which is when they become much more terrifying um mm. and he he comes flying over and um then he, he starts um guarding a horde which is absolutely the other thing we think about dragons is that they protect it's very lord of the rings isn't it absolutely and it's it's (laughs) always the other way around presumably lord of the Rings. well yes of course yeah yeah yeah. so um and i i haven't have you watched game of thrones no no i haven't either but there's lots of dragons in it so i haven't got into so i understand checking what sort of dragons they are it seems like some of them seem quite friendly i've seen some stills of people talking to them so presumably they're not all i think they're anyway let's let's Given that neither I, I, have, know nothing, I have nothing it. to weigh into our Game of Thrones chat, I'm afraid. No. Cannot do anything with that. Fair enough. I'm just going to nod sagely along and be like, yep, yep, that sounds about right. Yep. No idea. I'm sure our listeners are going to school us on that, but hey. So I was going to say, then we get lots of legends of uh, people going out and battling with dragons. And there's lots of little local versions of this story and things like that. Um, there was a couple in particular that I liked. One was somebody called Moore of Moore Hall, who killed the dragon of Wantley with a specially oh. designed pointed toe steel boot. Oh. And he used this boot to kick the dragon. Not just anywhere, 
no, 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 no. He kicked a fatal kick to the dragon's tenderest portion. Oh. Which actually, is, it's it's not necessarily what you're thinking. If we think of dragons as being male, maybe we tend to do that anyway. But not that. Um, it's bottom. Okay. So I don't know whether more. Because I've never in any. Him. I was just thinking in any films I've seen, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen dragon balls. So, you know, it's not the kind of thing that no. I guess in Game of Thrones, <laughs> you see a dragon flying away and there's a couple of danglies at the back. I can't imagine. That's not, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. No. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you can sneak up behind a dragon and kick it in, in the, the bum. And uh, sorted. Apparently. Wow. I mean, that's, that's some serious spy level stuff, isn't it? Like, you know, sort of poison <laughs> boots and things like that. I like yeah. it. Also, how would you, I mean, did they do investigatory work beforehand to work out, this is how I can kill it? And what oh, I need What's is that? a pointed tea stove. I'm really stove. enjoying that it was a local dragon as well. <laughs> oh, there's lots of local dragons. Oh, you look up. If you get into the, the folklore of dragons and things, there's they're all over the place. Um, there's some that we have much more hard evidence for. So we, we know that they definitely existed. Um, like, what? for example, yeah, they definitely existed. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, the word definitely is doing a lot of heavy lifting right there. <laughs> well, I think I think you will be convinced by okay. the end of this story. Hit me. So, um, this is this is more of a worm. This is the Mestastur worm okay. that lived uh, in the ocean and ate seven girls every Saturday. Very, Very regular. <laughs> And what's what's quite nice in this about story is it's not it's not a heroic person who goes out to slay the dragon. Um, it's a local youth uh, called Asipattle who yep. goes out in his boat. He's taken a bucket of burning peat with him in his Poor boat. Pete. Poor Pete. And he... <laughs> peat the fuel. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Matt. He... Just, cla- just in case anyone is was confused um <laughs> confused listening to us surely not no. <laughs> so Asipattle goes out in the boat and he and the boat are swallowed whole by yep. uh storeworm and um Asipattle then sets fire again this is very specific he uses the peat to set fire to the storeworm's liver oh which means that the worm explodes and Asipattle is saved. But um, the the teeth, the teeth of the, the store worm go flying out and they become the Orkneys and the Shetland Island. No. And the body is Iceland, where it's still smouldering liver erupts now and again Get in the volcanoes. See? Amazing. See? It must be true because Iceland is there and the Orkneys and smouldering, yes. Yeah, you convinced me. You convinced me. So, <laughs> and what, um, what, what, which country is that story from? Is that a? Uh, that that's a good question. It, I think I found story. it on 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 a sort of collection of it was British folklore kind of oh, okay. website that I was looking. At. I I looked at quite a few different ones, so I've lost track of which one came from where. Fair enough. Somewhat. Um, so yeah, I thought it might be. I, my impression was it was in the North Sea, but actually, if his body landed to create Iceland, maybe, maybe not. So, mm. not sure. I love that idea. Um, um, 
there's also uh, evidence of where St. George fought the dragon. Is there now? Oh, yes. Okay. And it's at Uffington. Which where's, where's Uffington? Uffington? With the white horse. Oh, okay. Uffington um, in Oxfordshire, uh, where there is a lovely green hill, which is a chalk hill. And in, in one place, the chalk has been cut away to create the um the outline of a white horse or a slightly stylized white horse um going back ancient from ancient times um but near the white horse there is a uh, a bit um oh i didn't write down dragon's hill or dragon's mound it's dragon something dragon and... hill i think so my, my brother and sister-in-law live a couple of miles away from this oh okay so i maybe ha- might have to go and uh have a little rummage next time I'm there. Go and check. So there's apparently a bit on Dragon Hill where the grass doesn't grow, and that's because the poison from the dragon's teeth <sighs> killed the grass. That's so good. Now, there is a slight drawback to this whole thing, which is obviously that St. George, well, A, he was Turkish. Yep. So um, he may not have come to Uffington to fight the dragon um I mean also dragons like a lot of saints there's stories about them and some of it is definitely historically true and Mm. some of it's not and George obviously I think falls into that category (laughs) (laughs) and I I didn't actually go and investigate I got so involved in the other dragons I I forgot to check where in George's story the dragon comes okay um, if you want to know more about St. George, I would recommend going to the V&A, um, because there is a fantastic altarpiece in mm. the V&A. It's the room with the Raphael cartoons. Yeah. And at one end of the room, there is this fabulous altarpiece, which is from, uh, from Valencia. And it shows the story of St. George in the different kind of panels. And one of them, he's fighting the dragon, but... In other ones, he's being boiled in a cauldron, Mm. but not dying. Uh, He's also cut in half at some point, which I think also doesn't kill him. It's impressive. Um, But it's very impressive. And if you want a graphic (laughs) depiction of someone being cut in half, the altarpiece. uh, How do you survive being cut in half? (laughs) Or being boiled in a cauldron? Well, it's a miracle. That's why he's a saint. Because it's a miracle that he survived. Yeah. I think he's then eventually beheaded and then uh, that'll get you that gets you um I don't know why more so than being cut in half cut in half horizontally I mean vertically that's the extraordinary thing in this depiction at least he's kind of in a metal uh, a wooden frame and they're sawing him in half down the middle vertically it's it's quite extraordinary um well we don't know I suppose that he didn't live the rest of his life as just half no just, no, you know, hopping everywhere. That's if you've got your heart on one side. You just hop everywhere. It'd be fine. Yeah, it is but a scratch, <laughs> a flesh wound, a flesh wound. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't. I wasn't. Uh, we're talking about the dragons today, not yeah. St George. So that's why. If um, obviously there's a whole host of uncertainty about St George. That, but he also he was adopted by Edward the Third as our patron saint. Mm. Um, at a time when we were at war with France, and it seems like Edward just wanted a more warrior-like saint. We had Edward the Confessor before as our as our national. It's not a sexy saint. Is he? 
and he just wasn't a go out fighting he wasn't doing it for us so edward went right let's have george we've nothing to do with him let's have him it's fine (laughs) um so of the but we have lots of statues of him not surprisingly and there's um a nice mixture of them and um the one near Westminster Abbey, mm. um, there's one just outside the, the main entrance to Westminster Abbey, which is actually a war memorial for Westminster School around the back. Um, and that one, unusually, St. George is wearing a toga rather than armour. And people, when it was put up, said, oh, oh, he's a bit delicate. Oh, he doesn't look like he could possibly kill a dragon. Ooh, <laughs> no. Never judge a book by its cover. I think that's what we learned from that. Yes. And and I think it's true that the dragon has lost its head in the statue. So it's, it's um, and it's quite high up. So, it's, you know, it's quite mm, hard to see the detail see. of it, but it's not, it's not the most impressive version, let's say. Yeah. Um, Quite the other extreme is the St. George that is um, at one end of Fleet Street. Um, um, it's actually on a street called Dorset Rise, which is one of the ones that goes down from Fleet Street down towards the river. And it's just around the back of the Premier Inn. So if you look up the Premier Inn Blackfriars, Premier Inn. It's always a very important touristic uh staging post that one yes well what i was going to say is if you do come and have a look at the dragon and st george at some point it's also worth popping into the hotel because they have a fabulous staircase at the back of the hotel oh so you can walk out the back i think it's harder to walk in the back so if you go to the front of the premier inn walk boldly through the foyer go straight on there is a glorious oval staircase at the back of the building and it was built as an office block originally and then keep walking out the doors at the back of that and then you'll find St George in a slightly sort of shady courtyard at the back but you can also get to him from the back and one thing that's nice about him is that the body of the dragon echoes the shape of the staircase because the staircase is kind of at the back of the building so you can see the spiral of the stairs from outside Um, interesting and it's the dragon is also facing downwards, which is quite unusual. Very often their heads are up, and you like you could divide the statues of St George with a dragon into the ones where the dragon is still alive or already mm. dead. Um, but almost always they've got their heads kind of up as if they're attacking, whereas this one is kind of more going away. And it's actually it's quite it's a long-bodied one. It's quite like the sort of the worm style dragon um and it looks like it should be a water fountain feature but i i don't think it ever was my book that has good information about it is still in storage so i haven't managed to look it up (laughs) i think it was never a water feature but it kind of looks like it could be it does look like it should be yeah in a way but a bit like the um statue in front of buckingham palace everyone calls it the they say oh that fountain and there's never water in it because it's not a fountain yeah but everyone always refers to it as a fountain it's very funny (laughs) What I like about it is the sculptor, Michael Sandel, um, it was commissioned in 1980 or was put up in 1988. And he said he wanted to do a St. George who was a really nasty piece of work who looked like he could properly kill a dragon. Mm. And uh, he also said a really Thatcherite St. George. (laughs) So it is of its time. Um, 
and the fact that he's kind of stabbing the dragon in the back rather than yeah. front it's it is quite different it's also slightly weird because he's sort of standing on a giant waffle um yeah he's on the horseback and then it, it's almost like something out of gladiators underneath yeah. his feet yeah yeah so it's great we'll put a picture of yeah, Absolutely. Put, this on the blog, put pictures so, uh... and things so you can have a look on the blog or indeed if you're close enough pop by and see him sometime mm. my favourite dragon on a St George statue is the one for the cavalry memorial in Hyde Park oh yeah and um, this was called goodness you're, you're good at that I was, when, I was, when you said we're going to do dragons in London I was thinking like, the only ones I could think of were in the city oh. I'm like, now you're saying them I'm like oh yeah of course they're oh. all over the place aren't they but... yes well um, again I've got a picture of this and I'll, I'll find I'll dig it out for the blog um, the cavalry memorial was designed by Adrian Jones who also did the quadriga on the top of the Wellington Arch mm. um, and uh, I think also worked as a vet was that him or have I got him confused that I'm not sure he, he, he's good at horses anyway uh, for sure. So um, George again on horseback, but the horse has really straight legs, as if mm. it's kind of adds added emotion to the scene somehow. It's like the anxious horse, um, but the face of the dragon is fabulous. The, uh, yeah, this is one of the ones where the dragon's already dead, I think, isn't it? Yes, his, his tongue's sort of lolling, so, but it is. It's a, he's still a fabulous face. Oh, it's great, dragon. yeah. And it is much more like the dragons that I think we see in children's books. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's getting getting a more friendly, not, not more friendly, but more features to it. Yeah, there's scales and um, sort of the, the, the wings and... are great because the wings, yeah, the wings are very much almost a bit like bat wings really so you've got the the scaly wings you've got the kind of claws at the end and you can see all the sort of bones yeah going through the wings as well it's really fabulous and then the the rest of the body is is quite dinosaur like it's got scales and it's got little um what almost look like plates um a bit like sort of armadillo yeah ish um yeah it's fantastic it's really clever absolutely which actually you say a bit dinosaur like the other place you can go and see a dragon in London is in the mm. Natural History Museum because they have okay. dragon ple- uh, dragon plesiosaurus as oh. fossils. Some of the, the earliest fossils of plesiosaurs uh, found, found in Lyme Regis by Mary Anning, mm. amongst others, were found before the word dinosaur was being popularly had, had been sort of coined and used um so they are they were named dragon plesiosaur um dragon and i amazing. thought that you might ask me what is a plesiosaur so i found a sentence okay so i found they're, they're aquatic they're aquatic aren't they? yes i found this sentence the plesiosauri or plesiosaurs are an order or clade of extinct mesozoic marine mammal marine <laughs> reptiles that? belonging the Sorepterygii. So I think that's clear that up. To say. We need to get Aaron Hunt back on for this, don't we? Our, our, our resident paleontologist. I, I um, and Mary Anning. We we could do with knowing more about. We've done, done an episode her? of Mary there Anning. There you go. Yeah. Fair enough. With Aaron Hunt. With, oh, yeah. See, I had a brilliant idea yesterday. I thought, oh, let's get Aaron to do Mary Anning. <laughs> <laughs> We've already been there, done yeah, that. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
so they're, they're up on the wall. There's some fossils in the Natural History Museum. Um, you can also go and see more dragons in the V&A uh, if you were there. There's some copes that have dragons on in the medieval galleries. And um, these are ones with St. Margaret on. So just to explain a cope. Cope. This is like a yes. bishop's cape. Yes. Which I don't know why they call it a cope, not a cape. Not a cape but that's, that's yeah. what they do. So these big sort of over over tunic things. Yeah. Um, on and some of the ones in the V&A they've got on display are beautiful examples of really early um, English embroidery, um, Opus Anglicanum. Mm. Uh, England was fabulously good at embroidery in the 15, 14, 1500s. Um, mm -hmm. And so they're, they're fabulously embroidered, beautiful things. Um, and St. Margaret is another saint that we associate with dragons because she got eaten by a dragon. Oh, fun. And then um, was miraculously saved and kind of emerged out of the dragon's belly, which is why she then becomes associated with um, childbirth. So she's the patron saint of, of childbirth. Ah, is that mm. why? Interesting. So um, there is a picture of... A lot of religious education on this episode. Oh, yes. <laughs> So she's sometimes seen appearing out of a dragon, like actually in the um, National Gallery. One of the oldest pieces in the National Gallery is a panel of different stories of different saints, and one of them is Margaret appearing from a dragon. Mm -hmm. But um, in the cope that is currently on display, she's transfixing a dragon, which means she's standing on it and stabbing it, a bit like ah. Sir George. Or yeah. indeed St. Michael. Poor dragons don't come out of this very well, do they? No. So Michael also often depicted killing a dragon because he... The dragon represents Satan in this case. So annoyingly, if you see a picture of a man on horseback with a dagger or sword, you can't assume it's St. George. It could be St. Michael <laughs> or possibly St. Margaret. If it's St. Margaret, know. yeah. So, um, all of which uh, hasn't got us any closer to the city dragons. So no. the city dragons might be Welsh, but they might not. It's not quite oh, clear. Okay. The city used to have um, lions on its shield. And mm -hmm. then sometime, either 15 or early 1600s, it adopted dragons instead. If it was 1500s, that would make sense because it could be a nod to the Tudors and um, particularly Henry yeah. VIII, who, you know, under his reign, if you if you um, flattered him, he might treat you nicely. Well, that's probably true of all the Tudors. But um, the Tudors were the Welsh bit of the family. Mm. So... And the Welsh dragon is a red dragon, very definitely. And mm -hmm. if we go way back to, again, ancient oral stories, the Mabinogion that were uh -huh. Welsh stories written down in the 12, maybe 1300s, but, but older in origin. Um, there are three or four stories in there about dragons and particularly one where the red dragon, who is the local dragon, is fighting a white dragon which is an invading dragon. Okay. And this is something else. Dragons tend to represent foreigners right. invading. So there's the, 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 the red dragon is fighting the white dragon, who is a kind of yeah. invader dragon. And um, dragons sometimes were seen as well in lots of medieval stories and things. So they were seen flying over Lindisfarne just before Lindisfarne okay. was sacked. And they become sort of portents of evil and invasion and things so dragons sometimes associated with invading i wonder because and it's often with these stories that you find stories like this that 
that switch between different countries, sometimes different religions, but they have a a theme that, that goes through them. And you kind of think, what is it that people were seeing? Because there must have been something. So what is it that they were seeing? Yeah. And it wasn't a dragon, but w- what was it that they were? Maybe it was, yeah, it could be sort of lightning or like some other, like you get sort of globe lightning and things. So maybe a weird meteorological But it's got to have been something that happens that regularly was... enough for it to be heralded as a portent rather than just like a one-off do you know what i mean i, I don't know oh and or sort of comets 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 um comets yeah i mean that I sort mean, of thing they sort of take potentially like murmurations of starlings or something to be a dragon i mean it, it's interesting it'd be really interesting to know what what exactly it was that they were seeing yeah. that they were interpreting yeah, yeah, as yeah. a dragon because it must have been it's not that they're going to point at a something. speck in the sky and go oh yeah that's a dragon it's got to be something uh, that's a dragon yeah Big enough to be to yeah the yeah, fear of God yeah. and also at um 12 22 they were seen flying over london which also is a is a more populous place mm. than lindisfarne so you would think more yeah, just people got one monk up a mountain you've got oh you know maybe four monks going, up a mountain yeah, I saw a dragon. yeah what would that be yeah. uh and then there was severe thunderstorms right. after the after the dragon scene in london so again portents of interesting doom. Um, and fire breathing uh, with poisonous tongue teeth. That's the sort of the, the added danger of the Scandinavian flying dragon. Now, is is that a, a, a bit of a thing where people are just getting a bit carried away? Or, I mean, would it be lightning? Because, I mean, I'm thinking of um, Lightning Jack, our story a while ago of, of the guy who basically jumped out on people. And, and the more that story was told, the more he became... You know, flashing uh, eyes and, yeah, yeah, and, like and all this sort of thing, and and gradually exaggerated. Yeah, whereas actually yeah. it was just some bloke being a dodgy so and so. Yeah. So you kind of wonder is is that something where someone's got oh, oh yeah yeah and there were you know, yeah I'm sure the, and the after the storms happened they went oh yeah and remember that thing that happened just before the bad thing that was a bad thing in itself. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's got surely that the fire's got to be lightning or something. You know, lightning striking something that a tree that is then set on fire it's got to be something like that because yeah but then i suppose you can kind of extrapolate and be like oh yeah you know wings and teeth and (laughs) that that noise again yeah (laughs) yes um so so then we end up with these heraldic kind of dragons around the city um and they protect the city of london and the um the, the sort of ones we've got now are relatively recent um additions that the the model for them was um there were some dragons on the old coal exchange which mm. um was on lower thames street where where the roman baths are oh yeah it was just it was on that spot and that had a sort of um corner turret actually not not unlike um kind of hogwarts in the harry potter film <laughs> okay so it had it did have a big glass central atrium that was very impressive but it also had a kind of turret on the corner of their site and and above the roof line either side of the turret they had these two dragon statues and then that building got taken down and um the dragons from there got put onto uh, the embankment either side uh, of the embankment and okay. they then copied so those ones are bigger than the rest of them but they're the oh, so are we talking about the 
the silver dragons that we see as yes. the entrance into the city of London. Yes. Is that what we're talking so about? So every main road entrance into the city of London has a dragon, or sometimes two. So how many do you reckon there are? Double your head. Do you want to take a punt? Mm, okay. So there's two on the embankment. There's two at Chancery Lane. There's one by the Tower of London. There's... Where else are there some i'm trying to keep track on my hand as there's we go. one in the middle of the column on the strand does that count it's not quite the same but it sort yeah of intriguingly that's a different one and there's that. lots of debate about whether that one could be a wyvern or a dragon but mm. officially it's I'm, a gonna, dragon. I'm gonna count it in in my in my yeah at the it moment. is it is marking so a boundary so it is we're up to seven um yes okay i've lost count on my fingers to seven there any oh there's also two up by if you're coming down from smithfield up by there so i've got nine that i can think of okay that herald the gates that's that's i'm sure there's more but those yes. are the ones i can think of off the top of my head yes there, there's 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 more that you know i'm sure you know because um there's the ones on the end of london bridge oh yes well. yeah so there's 14 in total. Oh, okay, so I was close. I was getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, uh, one of them has been missing for about 10 years as well. The one in Moorgate went away for a bit because of the crossrail building works and has only just right. come back. Um, uh -huh. So do you want the list of where they are? Basically, they're all uh, The ones I didn't get, yeah. Uh, so one on Blackfriars Bridge, two on London oh, Bridge. Yep, yep, yep. So the, the, on, on, on the bridges, they're on the south end of the bridge because that's where the city the city looks after the bridges so yeah. uh one by the tower you said one at Allgate, which yep, has moved around one. quite a bit over the years when the pavements have been re re and things uh one near liverpool street yeah i forgot that one one near the barbican uh one at farringdon and two right. on transition and two yeah. on magment yep mm. um there's also uh two in lake havasu which I think it might still be there, but they went ah, with London Bridge, so they've got they there's two little ones out there as we well. We should do an episode on on that on the London Bridge buying. I ah, think. Ah, okay. Yes, I think that might be quite good because there's a soul story there. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, no, no tangent. That's all right. Um, and there are some rather fabulous ones in Bank Underground Station as well. They're they're reliefs rather than sculptures, but they are really uh, snarly faced. And I quite like the idea that as you go down the stairs into the tube station, you're kind of leaving the city and uh, entering underground world. And then you come back up mm. and you're back into the city again. Yeah. Um, so they're just by the stairs uh, in in some of the exits at Bank okay. uh, Station. And they were, they were put up, most of them put up in 1963, um, which was very good timing. Well, it was partly when the coal exchange building that was demolished in 1962, but um, the there was also a rearranging of local boundaries, government boundary areas in 1963, which I think is when uh, like when Westminster became a borough. Before that, it was four different okay. boroughs and things. So the city at that point decided to mark the boundaries, which kind of makes sense if they're being readjusted. Why not? Why not? Kind of. Um, yeah mark it then um so they're they're relatively recent additions um oh, okay i don't think i knew they were there actually 
Oh, no, the, all of them. The boundary ones are from 60, 1963. Oh, okay. All right. Hmm, interesting. Um, oh, things. So the places to celebrate Chinese New Year. We have, um, well, one thing all year round, you can go and join the Thames Dragons, who are a dragon boat racing uh, team mm. who meet near the Royal Albert Dock um, twice a week in the summer, once a week in winter, and they importantly say, bring money for the pub afterwards. So <laughs> That's the most important yep. bit, yeah. Um, but the main um, sort of uh, New Year's celebrations are on the 11th. Um, which is Sunday, I think. Yeah, this, this Sunday, Sunday coming. coming. So um, there's all sorts of things, obviously kind of around Chinatown, um, but a parade that starts at 11, uh, 10 o'clock and goes down, I think, down Shaftesbury Avenue and towards Trafalgar Square. Um, there are various stages set up around on Shaftesbury Avenue, in Leicester Square, in Charing, Charing Cross Road is going to be sort of um, martial arts-based stage. Some of the others are more mm -hmm. sort of cultural based um and uh lots of stuff in trafalgar square as well uh including dragon yeah. dances don't go alex don't go if they're scary don't go don't go <laughs> <laughs> no i have seen them before in in uh, chinatown and, you know what's great the um the dancers in chinatown in london because chinatown is so small yeah. and the streets are really tight so if you're in one of those streets and it's coming down there's nowhere to, to go to and it's just it's it, it's completely it takes you over it's amazing and then on the on the Monday, on the 12th, there are some walking tours that are being run. Um, I think they happen about once a month anyway, but obviously mm -hmm. sort of particular ones that day. Um, people from the China Exchange, which I didn't realise, know about, but it's a, um, seems like sort of cultural venue on Gerrard Street where they have exhibition space and performance spaces and all sorts of um, okay. fun stuff going on. So um, uh, people from there doing... Um, New Year's, New Year's Day or New Year's just after New Year yeah. walking tours of uh, Chinatown. Fabulous. Amazing. And I was going to find somewhere where I could check the pronunciation of how to say Happy New Year. I've, I've got a... Kung Hei Fa Choi. Yeah, see, that's different to both of the ones that I found. Hmm. Okay. But there we go. I've always been, I've always been told Kung Hei Fa Choi. But I'm probably that's probably completely wrong because I was told that from when we used to live in Hong Kong. So that's probably completely wrong. Well, that might but... be just be the the uh, the Hong Kong dialect way or... dialect. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so happy New Year to anyone who is celebrating happy New Year. and absolutely go out and enjoy our dragons. If uh... yeah. Now I have to tell you, there is one dragon you forgot. Well, do you know what? I realised halfway through this, I thought to myself, I forgot what I meant to say right at the beginning. Go on then. Which is that I started doing this, and then I read a website, and it said five facts about dragons, and the top one was dragons don't exist. And I thought, hang on, no, that's not true. That's that's not true because I know at least one dragon, and I thought actually, what I should have done is right at the beginning dedicated this whole episode to Fraggle. Oh, my bearded dragon. Oh, do you know what? I was, well, I, that wasn't the dragon I was thinking of, actually. Oh, okay. It was another one. But I was, yeah, <laughs> at, at, at some point I was thinking, oh, my little dragon. So I used to, for those who don't know, I used to have a bearded dragon called Fraggle who died last year. Last year was really, really rubbish, really rubbish. And um, yeah, he he was my little love and he's um, a little little bearded dragon. Um, but the one I was thinking of was the dragon at the top of St. Mary Le Beau. Oh, 
the top of, of the course. spire where there's a flying dragon. So most dragons yes. are normally just sitting or chilling or being killed or whatever. This one's flying. It's a flying dragon. That's true. It's a city dragon, though, isn't it? It's it sort is. Of, it's, but but he, the rest of the dra- city dragons are, are perched upright. Whereas that one's I don't know if he is a wind vane so or lovely. not, but I think he might be a wind vane. I think uh, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He turns he, around. Oh, he does. Then he does. Or she. Um, there we go. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, Somebody. Dedicated to Fraggle. I like that. <laughs> yes. Um, someone published a pamphlet, which was a conversation between the dragon of St. Mary Le Beau and the grasshopper of the Royal Exchange. Oh, okay. And apparently they can still see each other across the rooftops. Oh, it's quite hard to find a spot where you can see both from the street, but yeah. if you're up near either of them, you can look across. Oh, that's lovely. I rather like. I like that idea. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, happy uh, Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year to anyone who's celebrating. And it might be that we'll see you down in Chinatown for um, a bit of rummaging, oh. a bit of, it's, it's always good photographically. Um, in Chinatown for that. Although I think I'm going to be away that weekend, but still, anyway. Um, but yeah, it's always good photographically and it's busy and it's exciting and there is some there's some amazing food to be had. Not every spot in Chinatown is great for food, but there are some brilliant ones. <laughs> um, and it's I, I love Chinatown because it's, it's such a, a little spot that's, you know, surrounded by theatres and... and shopping and everything else and then you just turn a corner and it's suddenly these amazing chinese gates and the lanterns will be up for chinese new year as well um and it's it's a fantastic spot it's it's as chinatowns go in a way it's it's compact but it's very um solid yeah dense sort of densely chinese um businesses and things around the area and uh, yeah very distinct character but it's only been there since world war ii because yes. Chinatown before yes, that was over weirdly. in Limehouse when, um, and then World War Two. Obviously, Limehouse was part of the docks that were very heavily bombed, and they had to move over. So, prior to World War Two, the area that is now Chinatown was home to a large number of quite well-known um, nightclubs. <laughs> ah, okay, quite a few sort of naughty, naughty little spots as well. I think. I yeah, feel like we've talked about that before. If we haven't, then we've, we're going to have to. But um, yeah, amazing. Thank yeah. you so much, Fiona. Great chat all about dragons. Love it. No worries. Well, there you have it, team. That is it for this week. Um, I It's really interesting how much Fiona spots that I've never seen. It's, it's quite unusual because I sort of, you know, we trained at the same time. We work together a lot, but you know, it's just, she's got a very different approach to guiding than I have. And she, she spots so many things that I don't. And I'm always incredibly jealous about how many, how many things she spots of the, just the depth of knowledge she's got. So I think you can agree. She's a great choice to come on the podcast and be co-host. Hooray. Well, that's it for this week. Um, those of you who are going into Chinatown to enjoy, have a great time. Send us some pictures if you go. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm hoping the weather holds for you. I think it's supposed to be quite rainy and cold this weekend. Boo! I'm off to Gran Canaria for a couple of days. I will see you on the flip side. See you next Wednesday for another episode of the Ladies Who London podcast. Bye!